By the time I left, I had, I think, three years of work experience with them. Parsons Brinkerhoff was the company at the time. They've bought, been bought by WSP, but designing airport facilities, things like that. When I went to leave, they said, you have to pick your replacement. Here's a stack of resumes. And he said, the first thing I want you to do is take anybody with a 3.7 or higher and throw out the resume. Really? Yeah. And, Why? He, and the reason that he said is because he said, in my experience, people that have, that have GPAs that high have a complex where they cannot communicate with people and they they cannot think for themselves. Okay. Do you, all right. Do in other you words, do in you other find words, that? in other words, they are very good at reading a book and studying for a test and memorizing things. But if you throw them into the jungle, they can't hunt for themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they go to communicate, they're quirky or weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that wasn't something that he valued or was looking for. You know so what the problem that I out. have is that I, that I didn't have those grades and then also the quirky and weird <laughs> communication process. So I think I was screwed from the jump. And look at you now. Still screwed. But Still screwed, <laughs> but you're having a podcast and you have yeah, conversations. Having a good time. People, right? Yeah. No, it's, and it's not, it's not like a lack of a, it's not a lack of ambition or drive or any of that stuff. And now I'm 30. I have a kid. I'm like, I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, all right, just get over yourself a little bit. You know, it was fine to be like, well, I don't really feel like doing that because whatever. And now I'm just like, all right, nobody cares. I have to make money. I got to feed my family. I got to pay the bills. Like, let me just get get shit done and, and just enjoy my time, not worry. Like, am I in the system? Am I going against the system? Like, what is the point? I'm like, here, I'm working for this new company now. I'm just going to go out and sell as much of this as I can. I'm going to go meet with as many yacht captains, brokers, owners, all this stuff, and just sell as much stuff as I possibly can and not worry about it. I used to like worry, like, what are people going to think when I call? I'm like, that stuff still bubbles up. Like, I still get those like worries and doubts and fears because I haven't been in the industry for a long time. Like, my brother and my dad love going on boats and all that stuff. I was I never would go out with them and all that. And now those are the people that I'm selling to. So there, I had the same thing in aviation with like this kind of like imposter syndrome piece. But mm-hmm. when I was 25, 26, 27 doing that, that stuff way more affected me. Like I would be like that. That had a way heavier weight on me to be like, oh well, I'm not really qualified to call this person, even if what I was selling was like. I will save this person three hours a day of paperwork if they use what I'm doing. Like I can help them. And then the flip side, that like kind of devil in your ear will be like, hmm, well, don't call them because like you're a kid and they're older and like you don't know what you're talking about and all this stuff. So you'd psych yourself out before you even called, went to the meeting, sent an email, all that stuff. So I would set myself up to get a negative reaction. You know, I think that, I think that happens to a lot of people. I think it happens to most people. I think I so. I think communication is very hard for most people. I, yeah, I think so. And and I've been working on just breaking that lately, like trying to break those habits of thought where you like constantly get in that cycle of like, well, I can't or I shouldn't or this and that. And you just go down this like spiral of stuff that you don't really need to because you start identifying with it and then that becomes you and it's stupid 
it's a waste of time. Like it prevents, it's prevented me multiple times from breaking into the things that I wanted to break into, like to have a successful band or to like the last business I was running to like make that successful. Like all these kind of things, I let those things get in the way. But well, I think you hit it though. Like that's how important communication is. Communication and the ability to sell are two of the best things that you can do, right? Two of the best skills that you can develop. Because even just for yourself, like eventually you're going to walk into a room and have to interview for something. Even if you're not trying to get somebody to buy a widget, you have to sell yourself to, hey, hire me, not only hire me, but pay me top dollar to do that. And I think confidence is one, one reason, right? Confidence in, in what you're talking about. You have to be educated about what you're talking about. And it's hard to sell that to somebody who's been doing it longer than you've been alive. Yeah. Like you said, like somebody that's been like tinkering with boats for longer than you've been alive. Yep. Right. And I think there's a strategy in how to appeal to somebody like that. And it's not to act like you know everything or you're above them, even when you're managing somebody, right? Like I, I was fortunate in my career where I, where I rose really fast and I was managing people that were twice my age under me. And the worst thing that I could do would be to try to act like I knew more than they did. It's a, even if it's true, it's not what they want to hear, right? So like a, a good sales strategy or a good management strategy is to figure out how you can appeal to them in a way that is conducive and productive going forward. Well, so like in that case, right? Like what it, what did you find were real ways that you can you can manage and talk to somebody that had more experience than you, that's older than you, all these things without like fluffy bullshit and all like just something real where you can actually manage them where you have a level of respect and it's not like this like kind of a textbook, you know, like the 3.7 and up. Well, you talk to somebody like this. What did you find was actually a useful way of going about that? So as far as, I guess selling and managing is a little bit different, but no matter what, <clears throat> people will always smell the bullshit when yeah. you try, if you try to shovel it enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's the worst thing that you can do is back yourself into a corner or speak, you know, tangle yourself up in a web. So in either case, I always default to asking questions, right? When you're mm-hmm. trying to manage somebody, especially somebody older than you, ask them questions in a manner that is either trying to get them to see things your way, break it down to common sense, and or put them in a mentorship role, right? When you're when you're managing somebody. So like I I became an executive at, at 31 years old in the construction industry. And I still had su- project supers, guys that are basically the quarterback on the field running everybody. They're in charge of everybody. I'd meet them for the first day at the beginning of the project and they'd tell me that they hated project managers or they hated suits. Or, you know, I've been doing this longer than, than you've been alive. Like, you're not my boss. I run the show. Okay, yep, that's totally fine. I grew up in the industry. I expect that. But when you start to ask them questions to put them in a mentorship role, ask them what they're doing, why they're doing it. Ask them for advice. What do you think of this? It puts them almost in like a fathership, uh, a fathership, fatherhood role. Yeah. Where they are teaching you something. And when they teach you something, they get protective about your success basically, and, and how people how people view you, right? So they'll go from being abrasive and having them try to tell you that, you know, you're not their boss and that they run the show to, you know, they're trying to have you under their wing and and make you shine, yeah. right? That's been, the, that's been the biggest thing for me. And not only for young people, but especially in the construction industry for women. 
um, you know, I am obviously not a woman, so I don't go through this, but it's the number one thing that I hear is that, you know, there are a lot of guys in the construction industry that just don't want to hear from a woman, period. Now, when you take that mentorship role and asking questions and trying to make somebody feel like they're the expert, I, I think that's actually even more of an advantage to women because I think that men naturally, especially older men, have a tendency to get in that protective role even quicker for them. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I So do. that's been the biggest the biggest help for me. And I, I guess Especially like, if they're parents themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I guess I can see that. I've like got an eight, 17 month old daughter. Like I could totally see that just moving down the line if I thought that way. But you came across somebody that reminded you of your kid. Right. Like, okay, all right. She's not trying to tell me what to do. And then it's like, hey guys, she's not- She's okay. Like, okay. I could I could see how that would well, happen. And even in a sales role too, right? Like you go through the seven steps of, of sales, right? And it's like, you know, first you prospect, you're trying to find out who you're going to try to sell to. Yep. And then you do, uh, you know, either rapport or a needs analysis. The best way to build rapport with somebody is to get them talking about themselves, right? So ask them questions. Just keep asking them questions about themselves. Find out what they care about, right? And what's important to them. Don't try to tell them what should be important to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because because then you're putting yourself at risk for either exposing yourself or not knowing what the hell you're talking about, or you're just going to turn them off because you're not you're not listening to them, or you're wasting their time because you're trying to shine a light over here when you know there's a gaping need that they have over here. Yeah. So asking questions is always the default, you know, for me in any situation, really. That's been that's been helpful this past past two weeks since I started here is calling these current customers that we have who are like yacht yacht managers, yacht captains, uh, even some brokers, things like that. And I call up and just, hey man, thanks for your time. Like, appreciate you like taking this call for 15 minutes. Can you tell me what you're doing? Like how you use the system, what we could do better, all these kind of things just to understand like where they're coming from, what they use it for. And then also like, that shows me what it was like before, right? I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. before you guys were using this stuff, like, what were you doing? Oh, we were tracking stuff with paper. So you're, you're doing a follow-up after they use what you've sold. Yeah, so these are people like are current customers now mm -hmm. that have been using it for a little bit. So in sales now, this is giving me a good lay of the land for when I reach out to people, what I can expect. And it gives me a sense of, what other people in that role are expecting, right? Or experiencing, I should say. So mm -hmm. if I talk to a yacht captain who's a current customer and they manage six yachts, when I talk to a yacht captain that manages four, six, eight, ten yachts that doesn't use what we're doing, he's going to be experiencing almost the same stuff that this guy was experiencing, but with the same concerns and frustrations and things they want to do well and things that they're afraid of as this guy, right? So when I talk to the guy that's doing all this stuff on paper and spreadsheets and everything like that, I can I can kind of tap into the pain and the concerns that they have around it of like, hey, I hear where you're coming from. Here's how we worked with these other guys to do it. And that's been a good bridge for me to like bridge that experience gap like you were talking about where it's not like, let me tell you what you need to know. Yeah. It's more like, hey, I was just talking to this guy who told me like that this exact thing in your situation, like is that happening? And then go from there and work it back. 
So that's been helpful just just for a, a perspective of a new employee or somebody that's getting into a role or like getting into an industry. Yeah, it's the same thing. Just like ask questions from the people with experience. Well, I think I think that's the the mindset that you just described is the key to being successful anywhere, right? And having people acknowledge you as a valuable piece. It's the world isn't there to serve you. You are there to serve the world. I have no a matter, tough time with that, though. No matter what situation you're in. You just had a client and you showed genuine interest in their needs and difficulties. You called another one and said, hey, I'm aware of this. This problem over here is the same thing happening to you. When you're managing somebody, you know, and people talk about the pyramid and the pyramid goes like this of management, right? Yeah. You flip that, that upside down. The way that I look at it is if I'm an executive and I have a project manager under me and then a super under me and then an assistant project manager and maybe an ad admin of some kind, uh, accounting, whoever it is, if I flip that and I think of it as all these people are there to serve me to if I go from all these people are there to serve me to I am here to serve all these people and to enable them to produce and do their job more efficiently, right, with a better result, yeah, you're going to get more respect from people. People are going to want to work with you more. They're not going to work with anybody else, and you're going to be more successful just in any situation. And that's what I feel like has been the best thing for me. Treat everybody outside of you like they are your client, even when they're in the, you know, the same team as you with the same logo over your head. Did you always think like this? I did, and I don't know where it came from. Okay. I think I think there's, you know, I've taken Dale Carnegie training and all these different kind of professional trainings that you can take. FMI is another one. And I think it was where that was a different perspective for a lot of people. It was um, it was more like a affirmation for me, you know, like, hey, this has been working for me. And, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, good. So this I'm, is the way that you're supposed to do it. I'm heading in the right, right. direction. Um, and, you know, I, I guess it just came from, you know, the house that I grew up in was very tumultuous, right? So I, I became very in tune with people's feelings and what, I guess, triggered people for a lack of a better word. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. At the same time, I also grew up in the construction industry. So I'm very, 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 if I had any privilege in life, it was number one, I grew up in the construction industry and I knew how to navigate through it. I knew what opportunities were there and how to take advantage of them. And then number two, my father taught me, you know, the importance of hard work. Right. So as I came up through it, I just always treated it as, you know, the, the world. And I see this all the time. I, I just had five um, interns from FGCU for us the, last summer. Right. And it was just glaringly obvious that four out of five of them thought that we were there to serve them. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas one of the one who didn't. He, he shined because he was constantly trying to serve other people. He was constantly, you know, taking the initiative to go find something out himself, asking the question, doing research on his own, tr trying to find ways to stay busy and stay productive. And that's the mindset that sets people apart from, you know, the rest of the competition. Well, and those are the kind of people that when they mess up or do things wrong or anything like that, people are like, all right, it's okay. Here, here's how you do it. Here's like, I'll teach you the way. And then the other four, you're like, okay, all right. Well, it's been a good summer. We'll see you later. Good luck at school. Exactly. Like if you're if you come to me with a question, you better have tried to answer it yourself on your own, right? You have these devices in your hand. You have a whole world of information. A quick Google search will at least make it look like you made an attempt. Yeah. Right? Calling somebody, trying to get the information yourself, communicating, following up with somebody, 
asking questions. That's how you create value for yourself. Not, well, I didn't know what to do, or you know, you're trying to sell something. And while well, I sent them an email, well, did you follow up with them? Did you call them again? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it goes back to the original comment of I think the ability to communicate is going away with every generation. I think, and to a, to the to their detriment, I just spoke at a high school last week, and I I told them like, listen. I'm not trying to bag on you guys. I'm not trying to, you know, make it be one of those guys that, oh, back in my day, and you know, your generation sucks. You're like like, I'm like 10 a lot years of people old, do, like but I'm 12 years old. But listen, the bar has come so low that if you guys can learn how to communicate and sell and follow up and go to find information on your own and take and be proactive and not sit there and think that the world is waiting on you, that you're there to serve the world. I, I had this this chart of you know, income in your life and what you make, right? And it's, a, it's this exponential curve that's supposed to snowball throughout your life. You're gonna ride that curve higher and faster than anybody else. And the good news is, is that a lot of young people today don't do those things. Yeah. So the amount that you're going to have to do to be able to get that result is so much less than it used to be. Yeah, and it's, it's And I'd say like, weird. it's really weird. So you're 30, I'm 32. From what I've seen, Right around like 27 years old, so if somebody was born in like 1995-ish, the ability to communicate has gone down. As simple, and I think it's it maybe, I don't even think it's because of confidence. I think it's just because people are terrified of talking to people. They don't want to pick up the phone because they have all the anxieties going through them, right? You can tell people are nervous when they pick up the phone. They don't want to. They just want to put it on an email. Whether it's everything that's happened in the last three years has killed the ability to communicate or just social media in general and everybody staring at their phone. Um, you know, it's just people don't want to do it. And there is such a huge opportunity for people who are willing to communicate, more importantly, willing to sharpen that skill to communicate and to ask questions. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's really funny to see on LinkedIn is, this is kind of a side note, but you'll see directors of marketing put out posts that say, that are like a frustration post that salespeople are calling them. And it's like, it's like, bitch, you're in marketing. Like, <laughs> yeah. And this is not women. That's fucking men too. It's like, bitch, you're in marketing. Right. You're supposed to be driving revenue. And if these salespeople weren't bringing in money to your business, like, does your business have any salespeople? Yes. Are they not calling anybody? No, they should be calling people. Yeah. Well, then you're going to get some fucking cold calls and you're going to have to deal with that. I don't know. It's just a side note, but some of that stuff is like, I used to get frustrated. Now I find it funny that somebody would be like mad that somebody's doing revenue generating activity and it's they're almost, supposed to be the ones, but they're like above it all. That's what I get concerned about when I get too far into like the marketing side is like, am I going to lose touch with the reality? Because there's pain. There's, it sucks to cold call people. Like sure there's does. pain in it. Like the dude, I, I started calling people. This this week was the first week I started calling. The first guy I called, I was like, hey man, I could tell you in 30 seconds why I'm calling. He's like, I don't have 30 seconds. It hangs <laughs> up on me. Like, all right, we're back in sales. And it was like some of these like punch to the face kind of situations. But it, um as I went through, the first two days were pretty rough. And then by Wednesday, I was, yesterday, I was like, all right, we got this. Like, let's just start calling. And I just changed it too. And I was like, I'm just going to be as much of myself as I can without being like, 
you should be listening to why I'm calling. I'm interrupting your day, dude. I right. like I got to get to the point. You got to get to the point fast. <laughs> but I also got to do it in my way. Otherwise, then I'm like scripted and all this right. stuff. But um, <clears throat> as each year goes on, and the I think the more I learn about myself and get my mindset in order and all these things, that helps make it easier for me to communicate because I'm coming from a place of well, each year I worry less and less what people think. And that removes removes the paralysis around calling somebody like or dealing with a customer or somebody might be upset if I call them, that kind of stuff. I think I think as you're younger, it's it's easier to let that stuff paralyze you. Um I mean, I fear of rejection is real, right? Oh, like yeah. look at that's why the dating apps, swipe left, swipe right, have become so popular because for a lot of guys, it is terrifying to walk up to a girl in a bar or just and spark organic conversation out of, you know, just thin air. Yeah. Right? So you you get to avoid that by swiping left and swiping right. And there's already like some preconceived notion that they're interested. So like you don't have to sell yourself yeah. anymore, right? Like that's why it's been so successful. You think you don't. You think you don't. You really do because yeah. you're still marketing yourself on your page and stuff like that, Right. And you can lose the Here's sale once you get into the house. situation. Here's me with my shirt off. Yeah, exactly. Right? Oh, my God. He's got a boat. They yeah, he's got a he's boat. Like, or he's, oh, look, he's got a dog. Or, you know, like. I was just, no, I just was on that boat that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's the fear of rejection is is definitely real. And I, I don't think that people realize when you stand up in front of a group of a group of people or you're on a podcast or you're talking to somebody, you might be super nervous and you might think that it's like fluttering out and that everybody can see it and everybody knows it. And it takes a lot for that to actually come across to people. And people really don't like, it's not like that offensive to throw yourself, to put yourself out there and try to sell and get rejected. Yeah. Like it's, it's really not like people don't care. Yeah. Like, you are not as important as you think to are as you think you are to everybody else. It's it's a blip on the radar. It's just like up, oh, you know, whatever, move on. And people just shouldn't be so afraid of rejection. Like I think one of the best books that I've read is the Ten X book. I, I can give it to you. It's okay, at my, it's at my house. But Grant Cardone talks about how much it it takes to cold call or to sell, and he's like, it takes ten times as much as you think it does. For every one hundred calls, you might get one. You might get one sale, so go for 10000 So, and like I know in my industry, in construction, I'd say you bid a job, maybe you win a third of them. And if you're a subcontractor and you're bidding a job, maybe you win one out of 10. You know, if the market's hot, you know, maybe not. You can pick your spots and stuff like that. But like, that's why I can't be an estimator because I hate I hate getting rejected, you know, that that often. I like being in operations and I like, I like, I like winning. Yeah. Right? Well, you can surround yourself with a purpose in operations too, which is good. Right. And that's that's sometimes the harder part in sales is that's one thing actually, that's one thing that has helped me when I've been good at sales and when I've been doing these things is finding a purpose, like finding a reason why I should be calling that person. And that, that can be with anything, right? Like let's say you have a, like you just got hired to be uh, like a, an account rep or like a customer success person or somebody just like, that maintains customers, you take inbound calls, things like that. Just like having a purpose for why you're calling or why you're reaching out to people, like find that purpose and stick to it. 
And that way, when you're saying like, hey, here's why I'm calling, you have something that you can say. And either they can say like, oh, okay, no, uh, or they'll keep talking to you. And I think that's helped me too, because then then it takes it away from like a personal rejection and they're rejecting the purpose of my call or like, hey, that doesn't fit for what I need. Like, uh, I don't have time right now. Like, it's not me being like, hey, um, Chris, how are you? Like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> no. Oh, wait, me personally or me as a salesperson? Like, I don't care. Eat both of you. Goodbye. And it's, uh, I think, finding that purpose of why you're reaching out and doing that stuff, that's helped me too. Yeah, I think we as humans have such a tendency to take things in the worst way possible. Right. Like that's why, again, it's so important to communicate. Like if you're a young person and you're just used to texting and, you know, DMing and all that stuff. If you send an email to somebody, if whatever the worst possible tone that email can be read in, that is the tone that is going to be taken. So just a simple phone call or going to see somebody, 7% of the way we communicate is, are the words that we say. 38% of that is your body language or tone. And 55% of that is your body language, right? So even when you make a phone call, you're still missing out on 55% of the most effective way to communicate. Yeah. Right? So you have to be cognizant of, of what you say to people and that and the way that they might take it. But also simultaneously, you know, at the same time, realize that n it's not always personal. Like in the construction industry, <laughs> one of the biggest complaints that I have, and to be honest with you, I think it's the biggest obstacle for people to get over especially people that didn't grow up around the industry because you have to have some tough skin, a lot of digs that people give each other. And honestly, the guys are too busy and, and the girls, they're too busy to have people that don't know what the fuck they're trying to talk about or what they're trying to ask about. Yeah. So like they don't have time for it. Or if you suck at your job or you need to be better, or you need to elevate your game or, you know, something, the quality isn't up here or you don't know what you're doing, you should have did this a different way they are so quick to get triggered and take that as a personal attack. And it's not. It's just that we are all extremely busy. We have a million things going on. Bandwidth, nobody has the bandwidth to handle what's on their plate. And it's just constructive criticism. And it's just the truth. And it, like, nobody's trying to offend you or like put you down or like, or, you know, come at you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's always good to, to train yourself to, to realize that not everything is a personal attack. And every time you get rejected, it's not a bad thing. You can look at it as an opportunity to grow or improve yourself or come back better the next time. You ever have that? So when you were coming up through construction, you've been doing construction since you were like, what, 15 or something? Uh, 13. So, all right. So yeah, you had to have experienced this a bunch of times earlier on, not because you're time. an idiot, but- all the time. Well, I mean a little bit like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, trust me, I have my moments. So like, all right, so give me a rundown of like some of the, is there you have any memorable moments like in those like mid teenage years? Like sure. what which one stands out that just comes to mind where you were doing something and somebody was like, No. Uh so the best was my father. Okay. So I started 13 years old. I was ripping roofs, um, digging holes, cleaning toilets, whatever, whatever anybody would give me. Right. Then I moved on to work. My dad worked at a sheet metal shop, HVAC shop. So the first summer that I was there, um, I was supposed to be there at 6 a.m. I worked from 6 to, I think, 3. Right. I think it was like eight bucks an hour or something like that. 
And I think a lot of people get preferential treatment when the parents are there and they're like not to be messed with or they get like, you know, special privilege to do whatever they want. I didn't have that privilege. It was the opposite. Yep. I had a magnifying glass on and my dad gave everybody the opportunity like, hey, berate my son all you want. <laughs> like, like break him in. You know what I mean? Literally break him in because in the construction industry, you have to have thick skin. Yeah. Because there's a lot of truth flying around and it hurts. Right. So I showed up. I left the house at uh, 5.53 in the morning. My dad left at 5.45. And he looked at me and he was like, you got to get to work. I was like, I understand that. I'll be there. I showed up at 6.02. He was standing on the loading dock with about 10 guys standing behind him with his arm cro arms crossed and they all had a smirk on their face. And I got out of my truck and my boot was untied. He said, why don't you show up to work tomorrow on time and be ready to work? Don't ever show up here with your boot untied again. And everybody started laughing at me and I had to leave and I got docked. I didn't get paid. Right? So like, <laughs> I was two minutes late. Right? So that taught me that the worst thing that you could do is show up unprepared and even worse would have been if I showed up with the coffee. I just started drinking coffee a year ago. So luckily that didn't happen. <laughs> but Welcome to fatherhood. Yeah. When, like those situations made me into who I am. And you only learn those, those, you should only learn those lessons once. You know what I mean? As opposed to saying, daddy's being mean to me, or I'm only being treated like this because of my father, or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Um, and I, I could ha I could come up with dozens of other examples of you know times that I screwed up or you know messed up. I mean, you don't know and you're not supposed to know, <laughs> right? Like we're not born with this like cardinal knowledge of how to do things and how to operate in these industries. That's why I said if I had any privilege, it was that I grew up in that industry and I knew how to navigate it. Mm -hmm. Where so many people come in, whether they be from you know uh, disadvantaged communities or they're a woman or they're, you know, whatever they are, um, there is a huge gap there. And walking into, it's it's like class jumping. It's like walking into a room and, or, or going to play a game where you don't know the rules. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, rejection, not always bad. And when somebody comes down on you, sometimes it's it's to teach you a lesson. It's not to, um, I, I actually, so I have another really funny story. Um, so when you do a construction project, at the end of the project, back in the day, you, you hand it over a manual, like a book, of what's called an O&M manual or a closeout book. It's all your information for this, you know, for this studio, it would be all the information about the HVAC equipment, the lights, the carpet, you know, whatever, how to maintain it, where to get more of it, whatever, right? Included in that are your warranties. So you get a warranty from every single subcontractor that worked on that job. And I'm 22 years old. I had never ran a project in my life. I was in New York City. Right. And at the end of the project, I'm calling all my subcontractors for their for their warranties. And I get to the end of the list and and I said, Hey, do I need a war do I need a warranty from every contractor? And you know, one of the old guys on site was like, Yeah. And he's like, I said, even the demo guy? And he's like, every sub. Did I do I do I have to say it twice? Okay, fine. So I call the guy and I am arguing with the demolition subcontractor. Like, give me your fucking warranty right now. And he's like, We don't provide warranties. And I so like the guy hangs up on me. And I'm, I'm 22 years old and I'm just trying to do the right thing. And I walk into the older guy's office and he's like, and he's laughing at me. He heard the conversation. He's laughing at me in the office next to me. And he's like, dude, what do you think? They're going to bring the fucking trash back? <laughs> and I was like, 
Duh. Oh my God. Like he set me up to embarrass myself <laughs> in front of everybody. There was a bunch of people like sitting there, like, you, you know what I mean? But again, that taught me think on your own. You know what I mean? Like, does it actually make sense to, to get a warranty from like a demo sub? And like, was it embarrassing and stuff like that? Like, yeah, of course it was, but it's funny to talk about now. And it's one of those things that built me as a person to where I am. So it's good to have thick skin and it's not always a personal attack. Yeah. So to have some humility or to, you know, be self-deprecating a little bit is always a good thing. Well, and you're, te you're teaching kids how to do, to get into the industry now. That's like, well, all right. So just to give people context, that's why we got connected is, well, initially we had a phone call and then mm -hmm. suddenly we were walking around. We live in the same. Yeah. So we had a phone call about something totally different, a foundation, you know, that I'm involved with uh, for disadvantaged youth. And I love the content on these podcasts. So we had the conference call and then I drive home two hours later and there you are walking your daughter <laughs> like in front of my house, basically, right? Turns out. So we live in the same neighborhood. Yep. Um, and since then we've sparked a conversation where I have spent a good part of the last 11 years, I think it's been 11 years, 2012, um, trying to get youth interested in architecture, construction, engineering, whether it's pushing a broom, designing a building, uh, running it as an executive commercial real estate, whatever it is, right? There's a huge opportunity there. And I don't think a lot of young people realize it. I think they see boots and jeans and they say, I'm above that. I don't want to do that. I want to be a business person. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of money in construction, right? So by taking that perspective, you're totally closing yourself off. Um. You know, we were talking earlier about ROI, right? ROI in, in education and, and what a lot of kids don't understand, I say kids, uh, I'm talking about basically high school students and college students, right? Is that they're, everyone's told to go to college, right? To make an investment. Nobody's telling them to watch out for the return. So you're gonna spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this investment in yourself with no idea what you're gonna get in return. Yeah. Right, and I think, the conversation right now, and what I think I know, is circled around student loan forgiveness and whether or not college should be free or not. I think that's a distraction. Whether or not that's intentional, I don't know. But Because it's not going to happen. Well, and that's what I said to these students last week that I spoke to. Listen, the reality is, is that in the next 24 months, college isn't free and it's expensive, right? Instead of getting distracted by that conversation on the politics... You should be asking yourself, why is it so expensive and what am I going to get out of it? Yeah. Right. The reason that it's so expensive, if you think differently, let me know. But it, in order I to start- it. Yeah. Stop right there. I disagree. <laughs> so in order to start any business in the country or to buy a home or a car or anything, you need to provide a credit history. You need to provide a proof of income or you need to provide proof or evidence of a return on investment. Right? The bank's going to give you $100,000. How are you going to get a return on that investment? Because the bank has skin in the game if you don't pay it. Right? Now, they mitigate that risk by tying you to it in certain ways and you know whatever. Right? The only loan in the country that they don't have any skin in the game and you don't need those things is a student loan. Mm -hmm. So if you're approaching somebody and they have an unlimited line of credit to buy something, they're not restricted in any way and they can sign up for it and nobody's going to stop them. They're going to charge more for it. One of the students, I asked them, you know, why do you think college is so expensive? And they said, well, they want good professors and they want to pay for them. 
to a degree, yeah. But the but root, the root of the issue, paid terrible. And the ad, the admin costs for the past twenty years, like the amount that administrations get paid and all that stuff, that stuff has skyrocketed. Well, I think some professors get paid terribly, right? Like, I think it's a, I think it's a good chunk of professors. I don't know about like we were talking about Stanford is now eighty five thousand right. a year. I don't know. Maybe they get paid well there, but like a lot of other places, I don't think that. Maybe I like these like prestigious places, mm-hmm. but I don't so, think. So, and that most. was her point, right? Okay. Like Elizabeth Warren, whatever you think about her, she makes four hundred grand a year to teach one course. Okay, that's a lot of friggin' money, right? And they're able to pay her that, right? Because they have the money to do so. Okay. Right? So there is a little bit of you know capitalism in, in that sense that there's it's a competitive market, and you want a big name person, you know, teaching a course, you you pay them for it. But if they wouldn't have the money, if thousands of kids weren't able to sign sign up for a bill that they have to pay no matter what. So not only is, not only do you not need to prove, you know, a return on the investment to sign up for the loan, but it's guaranteed, right? So it's also the only loan that you can't declare bankruptcy for. Yeah. And you, right? have, you have to pay for it. And the interest rates on a lot of these, uh, they're like 16 or 17%, which is yeah pretty crazy, which means, which essentially means that for, several years when you get out into the job market you almost can't pay back anything in a meaningful capacity right like 16 17 percent accruing interest on a fifty thousand hundred thousand dollar loan adds up so fast well that was just so then so that was the next point was that so stanford university everybody would be so proud if their kid went to stanford right eighty five thousand dollars a year they just announced their starting tuition was Right. That's before a book, a meal, whatever. Yeah. Right. So there's more cost there. At three so for four years that'd be three hundred and forty thousand dollars. At that rate, you're gonna be paying that into your fifties and you're probably gonna pay more than a million dollars. I don't know what the math is, but that's a that's a mortgage on a house. Exactly. And you know, the other thing that, that we talked about was you can go start a Dunkin' Donuts franchise for two hundred and fifty and get a return immediately. Yeah. Right. So what is the return? You know, I asked them, what do you guys think? What, what's a starting salary for, what would you guys expect as a starting salary for a graduating college student? And one of them said, you know, $100,000, $200,000. And I said, okay, well, just by telling you, you know, I graduated from college 10 years ago, right? Most people made less than $50,000 a year to start. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't think much is different now. No. Right? So you have a more you have a you have basically a mortgage right on a $340,000 loan you're going to end up paying a million dollars on when when it's all said and done maybe even more cuz a mortgage right now is like 6% probably right so so then <laughs> so then at the at the end of it or when you get out of college you want to go buy a house do you have any idea what a house costs i said a decent house is going to be $2,000 a month for a mortgage Right. And it's probably not as nice of a house as you have in your mind. Yeah. Right. That's probably like a 14, 1500 square foot house with minimal bells and whistles and probably not in like the top tier town. Right. So that's $2,000 a month. Your student loans are probably going to be like three to $500 a month. Just for argument's sake, let's say it's $500 a month. If you make $50,000 a year, that's about $4,000 a month. 2000 of that just went to your mortgage. 500 of that just went to your student loans. You still got to pay taxes. You still got to buy groceries. Stuff's going to break. You guys want to have fun? You guys want to travel? I don't think so. 
right? Yeah. So again, Stanford might sound great to you. And maybe it is if you go for engineering or, or you know, uh, maybe if you go to become a doctor and you get a return, a big enough return, yeah. maybe that is possible. I'm, But what I'm telling you is if you go for liberal arts or you go for business and you're going to come out as an economics major and go work in a cubicle at J.P. Morgan Chase, you're not going to be happy. You're not setting yourself- you're not yourself, making a hundred grand no, off the bat. No, And it's few and far between. You go into those cube farms, you're going to be sitting there with a thousand people. Dude, I know somebody very, very well- family member who went to who went to college became did law school became a lawyer is in the city like new york city and is just an insane amount of debt and then an insane amount of costs and then you just get put into the mill of all the other people that kind of went through the same thing Mm -hmm. so it's it's not even that many legs up if you just jump back into like the milieu of everything. Well, you want to look at most people too. I mean, most people don't even use their degree. It's not even relevant to the job that they have afterwards. Yeah. Even in the construction industry, I, I know people that are civil engineers, you know, from their degree, but they do interior construction. They don't even move dirt at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, it's somewhat related, but it's not. I, I have people in construction and a lot of people flock to construction eventually because of the opportunity there. Right, and we can talk about that in a minute. But one of the executives in my current company is a psych major, right? So like, I joke, and I'm like, well, your your degree might be the most applicable because you're dealing with people all the time, and 80% of it's people, and you can manipulate people, right? Since so you're a psych guy, but like, I mean, that's a half kidding, and it's yeah. it's kind of a joke, right? Not only that, but like, <laughs> to be a mechanical engineer, to be to to design ductwork fire protection and plumbing. You have to have a degree in mechanical engineering to then put four years of work in, get your first uh, certification to then put four more years in to get your stamp, right? Your The stamp that basically allows you to be licensed to say, I drew this and it's okay and it's the code and yada, 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 it works, right? For mechanical engineers, 90% of the courses you take are irrelevant to your job function when you come out. Well, that's why you and I are making this course is right. because... So you're you're running into this stuff of you go to talk to kids that come out. Well, you had the experience of if you didn't have all this background knowledge of actually working in the field, like, I don't know, what would that have been like to just like go out of college and get thrown into something that you're supposed to almost be like a beginner expert at and not know Well, that's just it. So I, I get in the last 10 years, I always get tasks with the entry level people, right? Like they always come to me. I am pretty good at training them, getting them up. And most of the young people that I've worked with are always end up getting earmarked as having high potential because I spend the time with them to teach them, but they're all the same. It doesn't matter. I've had people from Cornell. I've had people from MIT that I've worked with. I've had people from UMass. I've had people from all different kinds of colleges. They all need the same amount of attention coming out to get them up and going because the entry-level tasks that they're supposed to do for the first five years are totally new to them when they come out every single time. Mm. They learn more in the first six months out of school than they did in the four years in school. That's why most schools or the schools that have the highest tuition to starting salary ratio, say that again, tuition to starting salary ratio are schools that force you to get internships and co-ops. That's because you learn the work experience is more valuable than the education in the classroom itself. Well, and they combine and then they become more than just, hey, I only have the work experience or I only have the school experience. Right. I've got both. I can, I see this 
in reality and I see I show up to a site and I have no idea what the hell's going on and I go back to the classroom and I learn things that I don't really know how this applies right. to the real world. But then I go back for the second half of the internship and now I get to see how all this stuff applies. And then now when I go to learn theoretical stuff, oh, I have a better sense of it. And so like, if you can piggyback and marry real world, then theory, then real world, then theory, that's like helpful. Absolutely. Because you can actually learn and apply and grow. But if you've got only one, I don't know. It's I feel like you, you're missing like half the equation. So I think, so when I went to school, the reason that I chose the college that I went to, which was Wentworth Institute of Technology. Where is that? Exactly. Right? It's in Boston. You've never heard of it. The, the reason that I said exactly <laughs> is because okay. you've heard of MIT. Mm -hmm. You've heard of Harvard. Mm -hmm. When I went, the reason that I went to that school is because Wentworth had the highest starting salary to tuition ratio in New England above Harvard and MIT. In other words, the better ROI was going to Wentworth at the time for what I wanted to go to school for. Okay. So that's an important thing that kids need to look at is that tuition to salary ratio. Absolutely. Okay. Now, if I went back and I did it again, what would I do? I would be a plumber, right? I would go to high school and I would become a plumber. I would learn how to, I would find a way to get a summer job or internship at a plumbing shop. I would dig holes. I would pick up trash. I would do whatever I could so that when I got out of high school, I could get hired. I would go to a trade school, um, whether it be union or non-union. Uh, I, I would either go to a non-union trade school or I'd go into the union, which would force me into a trade school because that's part of the, the deal there. I would get work experience to be my own journeyman, right? In other words, I would be able to run a crew, run a job. Nobody would have to be over my head watching me, right? By the time I'm 23, I would be probably making with overtime and everything over $100,000 a year. Plumbers, so now now I work at a company that is national, right, uh, global. I, I see people in every region. The trade that is that is that has the least amount of representation are plumbers, right? It is a licensed trade. Everybody has it. Everybody needs it, right? So when the demand is high and there's not a lot of people there, that pays more, right? So it's going to pay more. Then what I would do to start my own business, then I would probably get an education where my company either paid for it or I would pay for it out of pocket so that by the time I was in my mid-20s, I had a financial education to apply to a skill, right? As opposed to going to college to learn business to have nothing to apply the education to, right? I tell, I tell students all the time in high schools, you know, they want to look down on kids that don't go to college. I actually ask them to raise their hands. Hey, who looks down on the kids that don't want to go to college in this room? And they'll all raise their hand, right? And then I'll say, all right, you people that want to go, want to, go to college, don't want to go to college. What do you want to do? Um, at Astaro High School, one wanted to be a hairdresser, one wanted to be an electrician. I said, those two are the most likely to be entrepreneurs in this room because they have a skill to sell to people that people need, right? As opposed to, I passed an economics exam. And then what? And then what? So what are you going to sell to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? So again, I would find a way to work for some type of contractor in high school. I would come out, I would go to trade school. I, mine would be plumbing because it's a licensed trade that everybody needs. I would try to learn and become as competent as I possibly could to be able to run my own crew and to run my own work, right? Because when you physically do it with your hands, you are the most knowledgeable. By the time I was 25, if I put in enough work 
built enough of a reputation for myself for doing quality work. And I had some kind of an education financially, um, whether it be contract types or, you know, documentation, the rules of the road for commercial construction, whatever. Right. I, I am very confident, very close to using the word guarantee that I'd be a millionaire by 25 years old. Like not a, honestly, there's not a doubt in my mind. And that's with the, like the work environment right now, 2023. Right now, I, especially in Southwest Florida, like Southwest Florida. And I have a lot to say about the construction industry in Southwest Florida compared to the rest of the country. But I mean, I'm looking, I was looking at bids last year from plumbers in Southwest Florida. They were charging two and three times what they would normally charge because there are not enough. People mm -hmm. just don't have them. I mean, these guys are picking their spots and they're just juicing up the bids with a ton of fluff and they're making money hand over fist. Um, you know, I work for a company now where we have a national account and I can't say who it is or, or what we're doing, but um, in every region, whether it's here, uh, California, New York City, Canada, Chicago, we can't get plumbers to respond to bids enough. Really? Yes. Um, and like we're begging people. And part of it is, is just because there's not enough people out there. You know, if for many people out there, they just don't want to be a plumber, right? You hear the word plumber and you think some fat guy with an ass crack hanging out from under a sink. Well, fat guy with an ass crack is probably driving, you know, a Beamer. An Escalade. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and he's probably got one of the boats that, that, you know, you're yeah. selling to, right? So again, that's what I would do. I'm far enough down the road now that, that. Although I know about plumbing and plumbing engineering and those types of things, I have different plans for myself, but that would be my plan if I was starting today. Okay. How do kids get into that? Into plumbing? Yeah. So like, is it, is it that path of go find a, like a plumbing company and just call them up? And so th that's what I would do. Like, ag again, work experience is the best thing that you can get and the best education that you can get no matter what. Right. So how do how, like, if you're like a 16 year old kid right now, like, how would you go? Would you call people up? Would you go ask family members? Do you know any plumbers? Like what, what would be the most practical, like starting point? So whether it's a plumber or an electrician or an HVAC guy, or, you know, a finished carpenter, something like that, I would always recommend you go for a licensed trade. So I'd recommend you, you research what trades are out there and require licenses. The reason I say that is because when you have a license, it's the same thing as being an engineer, right? You can then take responsibility for what you're putting out there as a product, right? Acknowledged by the state, which means what? Money. Money, right? So as you, if you want to climb any kind of ladder in life, whether it's the corporate ladder or financial ladder, whatever you want to call it, the more responsibility you take, the more money you're going to make, right? So find a licensed trade. I would then reach out to, again, we have Google right? We have a wonderful tool called Google where you can yeah. find all these trades in the area, right? They're all looking for help, especially in Southwest Florida. If you are willing to pick up a shovel and pick up trash, they will find something for you to do, right? Try Do whatever you can, whether it's a family member or whether it's Google, cold call, whatever you need to do, work on those skills. And I think what I really want to do, and this is what we've been talking about, is providing mentorship for people in this position, Right? We want to be able to get on a phone, help you build a resume, help you um, learn some lingo and learn some do's and don'ts and learn some uh, how-tos right? so that you have something to put on a resume to then hand to somebody in that situation, even as a 16, 17-year-old. 
right? Saying that you have some knowledge of plumbing or electrical or, or HVAC. Hey, take a chance on me. Yeah, hey, take yeah. a chance on me. Get that get that work experience, whether it's working Saturdays during school, whether it's working on the summers, you know, whatever. Try and put a resume together. And then I would, once you have that, job opportunities when you get out and you have a little bit of work experience will come to you, no problem. From there, I would I would seek out education at night, whether it's a trade school or it's um, financial education, something like that. Because at that point, you're probably gonna be pulling in a little bit of money and you'll be able to afford it you know, yourself. Um, I think that answered the question. What, the other thing that I wanna say about you know, the, the trades and the construction industry. So there's a lot of money to be made in trades, right? And when you are a journeyman and you're somebody that is fully competent and can operate on your own and you can take a set of drawings and you can do an install yourself without anybody watching you, six figures, no problem, right? A lot of guys, I mean, I know a guy from Cuba that moved here five years ago. He His base salary before overtime is 60 grand plus a 401k, plus healthcare, plus a truck, plus gas in a gas card, right? You put that whole package together and then overtime, you know, he's the whole package is probably worth 150, Yeah. right? So that's just one example. But when, you, when you're looking at the industry as a whole and you're looking at that return on investment, right? STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, those related, those related uh, education or majors at school will have the most consistent and highest return on your investment, right? So <clears throat> today, if you were to walk out of school or walk out of a trade school with an education, getting involved in one of those or specifically architecture, construction, or engineering will give you the highest return on that investment, right? So again, STEM, or more specifically, architecture, construction, and engineering will give you currently, the way it sits today, the highest return in your investment. If you were looking at the stock market, right? What do we all wish we knew about the stock market? It seems like some people know. What was, what's gonna happen? Where it's going, right? And you wanna buy low and you wanna sell high, right? Not even necessarily buy low, you just care about wherever you buy it, it's going up here, Yeah. right? If you already know that the way that it stands today and the demand is so high that that return is not going to go down, right? Because it's not. I mean, we don't have enough people in the trades as it is. You're going to get your return on your investment. You're going to make a lot of money. For every seven people that walk out of the industry right now, whether it's retirement, dying, leaving the industry for whatever reason, only one comes in. So seven people are walking out the door. Only one's coming in. And it's already a good return, but where's it going to go? It's going to go through the roof. I mean, a lot of people starting salaries right now, you talk to executives that have been in the business for 30, 40, 50 years, they want to throw up when they see what entry-level people out of FGCU or you know Northeastern or Purdue or Ohio State or these colleges that put people out for construction management majors, what they get paid coming out of school, not knowing a damn thing that will allow them to be productive on day one. What's, what's the number? I mean, 10 years ago, like 50, 55 was average. I'm hearing people getting north of 75, 80 grand. Uh, if you have good work experience and stuff like that, I, I'm hearing even north of 90 in, in, just some, to start. in some spots. Just to start. And you don't know shit. <laughs> okay. You still need the same amount of mentoring, right? I mean, it's, yeah. that, it's that competitive, right? And it's only, I'm telling you right now, it's almost like you're in the stock market and you have the answers. You know what's going to happen in the next six months, right? 
you can you can make so much money if you could just put all of your money and all of your investment into one thing because the price of an education or a career in construction is going like this. Why? Supply and demand. When supply goes down and demand goes up, you can charge whatever you want. Yeah. Well, demand is already up. It's not going anywhere. You drive around Southwest Florida. I mean, again, I work construction is on every corner in Southwest Florida. They're even building behind buildings. Yeah. Right? They're double stacking properties, right? In other areas, I keep hearing the same thing. California, Illinois, Washington, New York, they don't have enough people. It's it's booming. There's so much money flying around. It's not stopping. Well, so again, the demand is up here and the supply is plummeting seven to one. It is going down seven to one. That is a steep slope. If you don't remember your uh, algebra and and all and your your rise over run, your your y equals x plus one, seven to one plummeting. So the numbers are going to go up. So when you look in that return on investment, it's already a good investment and it's going to get even better. Well, it's kind of it's the opposite's <laughs> happening in some of these tech sectors and everything like that, where I don't know, just. On a separate note, one of the interesting things about this, I wish I was more mechanically inclined and that like this appealed to me, but I don't know, I'm fucked up in the head. So like I got my own things going on. But like part of what is nice about learning this stuff too, similar to nursing or similar to any of these trades where you're interacting with reality and principles of reality is that the principles of nature of physics of all of these things don't actually change the technology might advance and things like that but if you understand electrical work if you understand hvac if you understand plumbing like the way that water works and the way that it transforms at certain temperatures and goes back into Mm -hmm. systems and then you pressurize like that stuff is i'll say it's a constant Maybe it evolves because people get better, but like the fundamental principles of those scientific things remain kind of constant. With sales and marketing, yes, there's fundamental pieces that stay the same, but all of these mediums and avenues are constantly changing. We're finding success with YouTube shorts and we're finding reels and all this stuff. And then it changes. Somebody just changes a the algorithm that's a bunch of computer programming that's all put together that Mm -hmm. changes and trying to understand how that works and what's going to happen is not like hey there's an electrical outlet there let me plug it in and see what happens on the back end that electrician goes i know exactly how to go from the like the power box to make that run to where it needs to go so when you plug that in it's got the right like I'm going to say the wrong words, amps, voltage, all that stuff that I know that it's going to deliver the power for these cameras, for these lights, all this stuff. Like that's a constant, like marketing and sales and all these kind of things. Those are not constants either. Mm -hmm. So like, I can't tell you we're going to chop this clip up and it's going to get this exactly. Maybe there's like three people alive that know actually how that works. And people have pretty good guesses and they get better at it, but just from a perspective of give it if like there's ki- like younger kids watching that think it's like oh you know social media is like a good way to make money it's a pain in the ass and mm-hmm. it's there's no guarantees on how it's subjective can, it's, it's totally very subjective, subjective and it changes day by day and the nature of but <clears throat> also the nature of what you're interacting with the fundamentals change and shift 
It used to be Facebook. You have to have everything on Facebook. Then mm-hmm. it's Instagram. Now TikTok is taking over. Well, like, look, they, they just said that, you know, Elon Musk and all these tech guys just said, we got to stop AI because it's evolving too fast. Yeah. And so it, what and you could be good at today could be obsolete tomorrow. Exactly. And so all of these things come into play of if you're going to get into those kind of trades and things like that, that is actually a super valuable piece of it that you'll have that fundamental knowledge that you can apply that in all different places. Like if you learn to be a plumber now in 10 years, they might have different fittings or they might like come up with something kind of new, but you can take that and go anywhere in the world and apply those same principles wherever you are. So in like a time where there's, you know, way too many plumbers, you might just make less money. Mm-hmm. But in a time like now you'll where eating, there's though. not an exactly you'll be eating. And when there's a time where there's not as many, you could be making like bank executive level money. It's crazy. Yeah, I think so. There's I think a few get, things people you get said. caught up on the type of work too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I used to look down on it and and I wasn't like gung ho on going to college. You know, you were like, oh, let me look at the income to cost ratio. Right. I was like, oh, FGCU doesn't require a uh, an essay to get in here. And mm-hmm. there's a beach with a trampoline yeah. in the water. Like, all right, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. come here. So we had different priorities there. But right. you get sold this thing of, I got to go to college. If I go to college, I'm going to get a good job. If I graduate college, once I get out, I'll be making 50, back, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. 50,000 right off the bat. That's awesome. Like, this is what I'm going to be making. But you get sold this like, hey, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. You're going to make money. If you don't go, you're not going to make money. And I, I, it seems like it's changing where people are like, all right, trades, like you can make money. I think that's becoming more accepted. I hope so. I don't think so. Just by the students that I've spoken to. I guess you know maybe I mean? adults are coming around to it. I mean, it's, it, it's, I think it's adults are coming around right? to it. But I, I think- and I think Lee County in. does a really, really, really good job at pushing it. But even when I walk into a room with 30 kids, how many kids are interested in being an electrician or any kind of a trade? There might be one. Really? Maybe. And, yeah. you know, it's like, it's just like you said, like, so I was always taught, you know, they always have a trade to fall back on because no matter what, somebody's always going to need a plumber. Somebody's always going to need an electrician. And it's just not, so, it'll probably be the last thing that the robots can do. Right. Um, so, there's always going to be a need for it, right? Even in hard economic times, if, you, if you're if you a plumber, you're going to be fine and you're going to eat in Southwest Florida. There's also not another industry that is as objective and mm-hmm. merit-based, right? So like as you, want construction. To go, you want to go to marketing or you want to go to um, all these other industries, you know, whether it's journalism or all these other things, right? Um, tech, you know, what people use, what people will like, what an app that'll work. It's all very subjective things, right? Plumbing is objective. You have to have a sink and a toilet, right? Like yeah. HVAC is objective. You have to you have to be able to serve a, a building for HVAC needs. Electrical, same thing. Probably now more than ever, right? But it's also merit based because there's not enough bandwidth and people don't have time. Nobody at the end of the day, if you're productive and competent, and people can rely on you to get things done, and that people don't have to micromanage you. Your worth in the construction industry goes like this. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, black, white, purple. It doesn't matter because there's so few and far between people that fit that mold that when people have them, they will clinch onto them Yeah. with with dear life. You know, I make 
I don't want to say what I make, but you know, I am one of those people and that has been reflected in my income. Yeah. You know, I've watched my salary go up while people, you know, remain stagnant or they complain or they think they're worth more. You know, I don't even wait till the end of the year to get raises a lot of the time. I've I've gotten mid-year raises. And another thing that you touched on was you can go anywhere in the world. Right? Since I have graduated college, and it wasn't necessarily because of the college degree that I had. I mean, I actually remember so I moved to California. I moved to Huntington Beach, California, which is in between San Diego and LA, right? I was in the interview and the guy looks at my resume and they tell you, you know, have your college at the top of your resume, right? With your GPA. And I didn't put my GPA because the first story that we told, right? And he looks at it and he goes, Wentworth Institute of Technology. What the fuck is that? <laughs> just like you just said, right? You know why? Because it doesn't fucking matter. It does not matter. There were other kids that went to Cal Poly that... Again, it doesn't. It didn't matter because he knew that when I walked in the door, he was looking at a character that he he was trying to bring someone in with a certain character to hire to teach because he knew the day that I walked in, he was going to have to teach me more than I had already learned at college, right? But to your point, when you're involved in the architecture, construction, engineering industry, I've lived in Huntington Beach, California. I've lived in New York City, Boston, now Florida. Every time I wanted to go somewhere, I get I get a job like that because. There is such a need, it's so few and far between, and it is an education and a skill set that you can take anywhere. So one, when I was at that high school the other day speaking, I asked what was important to some of the younger people's careers, and they said they wanted to move, they wanted to see the world. I work with an architecture company. Uh, I was just watching them on a panel the other day. They have offices in 60 locations from here to Southeast Asia to South Africa to Europe to wherever, and they love when people move around. Right, so if you if you're one of those people that you want to get out of Southwest Florida, or you're you know you're sitting in Chicago and you want to get out of Chicago, there is no better opportunity to get involved in an industry that will allow you to blossom any direction you want to go. Yeah, right. And it's not even just about trades because when you're in those trades companies, those people they need project managers, they need executives, they need business development people, you know, people that are going to find new work. They need accountants. They need a legal team. They need all of these people. There is a business to the construction industry. Well, and if you learn those fundamentals, like you said, if you know that hands-on stuff, like if you know how to do the electric work, do the plumbing, do the HVAC, and then you're like, I hate this. This sucks. But you work for a company like that or you know what those things are happening. Mm -hmm. You have a ground level knowledge that many of the people at those companies won't have. And it'll give you an ability to actually maneuver through both the higher level, more conceptual places if you like that, like business development or you get into management or accounting, like these other things. But if you've got a ground level knowledge of what goes on, mm -hmm. you actually can communicate with customers. You can know where things are heading. You can know when the entire company is either going the right direction or is full of shit. And I've seen companies where the people at the top don't have any idea what goes on at right. the ground level. And they make these decisions that are terrible for customers. They're terrible for the employees there. And then they're like, what do you mean people are upset? The morale's super high. We took a survey. Right. The survey says people are really high. And then it's like, it's anonymous. But we noticed that you particularly answered the survey. Very strange. People are like, I thought this shit was anonymous. So right. anyway, that's a side So part, you just hit two things, though, that are very important. Right. Number one is that people, the more 
intimate knowledge you have about the business that you're selling, the higher you're going to go up the ladder, right? I know a lot of people, there are a lot of executives out there that don't have a clue. My executives at my company are badass. They know the business. They know what they're talking about, right? That makes you more of a competent executive. It makes you more of a competent leader as opposed to somebody that goes and gets a business degree that has no idea about any business and can't apply that knowledge to anything, yeah. right? Second thing you touched on was the ability to take that knowledge and communicate, right? That when you have that knowledge, you can communicate better, one, number one, because you're more confident, right? You can answer any questions that they have. You can more intelligently ask questions. But even more importantly, when you look at the hierarchy, right? You have an architecture company, you have a general contracting company, you have a subcontracting company. They all have project managers, assistant project managers, uh, executives, um, you know, BD people. They have all these people all the way up the chain that you wouldn't realize are there that are at most companies, right? They don't operate very differently from other companies, right? There's a ladder. There's a hierarchy. The people that can't communicate like face-to-face -face with people and speak they have a glass ceiling on them. They, they can be, I've worked with some of the most intelligent people, smartest engineers, smartest builders. They can only go so high up that ladder because when you get so high up the ladder, your job becomes more about communicating, managing down, selling to clients. You yeah. know what I mean? So developing a communication skill, again, you can be the most competent, you can be the smartest individual at what you do and, and hone your craft. But if you can't communicate outside of yourself, you, you will have a glass ceiling on top on top of you, right? So, and maybe that's fine, yeah. you know, because there's a value in that. And the people need those people too. And the people will pay a lot of money for them. But you have to realize that that glass ceiling will be there if you don't hone those communication skills. Yeah, it's critical. <sighs> Damn, dude, how long have we been going for? An hour and 11. Dude, let's land this fucking plane. Let's land the fucking plane. <laughs> what else should we cover before we wrap up? Um, I don't. I mean, is the intent to sell something? Is the intent to put no, a bow on it on some type of a message? Is no, it, no. I just literally no, nothing along those lines. Just like, what else do you want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you would be no. interested to hear that would lead to? No, I'm sick of talking end. to you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, no, I think so. I just wanted to, I, I really, I wanted to have this conversation initially just because, well, we've been working together. So it's, I thought this would be cool to do, but also yeah. I wanted to just talk through some of these pieces of like what's going on in this industry, because as the more I learn about, one running a business myself and doing everything like that the work sucked like do doing the podcast business like the work itself and doing the editing and all that stuff that sucks to me it sucks it's hard work it's all that kind of stuff i enjoy this part of it but like the production and things like that thank god ties here because otherwise i'd fucking jump off the building right but like it's going to be hard work regardless and i think that's something that i've i've I got wrong earlier on. I think I was always looking for an easier way to do things or like the easier work or whatever it might have been. And I think that's one of the big reasons why I overlooked something like trades or anything in that zone. Cause I was like, that looks like really hard work, which mm -hmm. I imagine it is. There's no getting around like that part of it. 
But I think that might be a piece of why people are hesitant to dive into that stuff because it seems like hard labor, hard work. And I think people are looking for easier things. But I guess what I've learned over time is like, it's not easier. You're just, things are gonna be hard regardless of what you do. So don't trick yourself to think that because you're in marketing or sales, that will be easier than yeah, being think, in a trade. I think there's a really popular expression going out there right now, and it's choose your hard, right? Mm. So no matter what, life's going to be hard. If you want to go into a, into a career that is easier, right, it's probably not going to pay as much. So is it going to be hard, you know, to pay your mortgage and to take vacations and to do the types of things, live the lifestyle that you want to live? Or is it better to work hard and be able to do any of those things that you want? Yeah. Right? So choose your hard. And I think no matter where, what industry you go into, it's all about hard work, discipline, and heart, right? You have to be willing to put the work in. You have to find a way to separate yourself from people. You have to be disciplined about it. In other words, you, you have to do things that you don't want to do, and that's going to make the difference in any kind of direction you're going. And when I talk about heart, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about putting in 10,000 hours in, in one specific thing to become an expert at whatever yeah. that thing is, um, whether it's playing music or it's playing hockey or, or whatever, right? There is no 10,000-hour period in your life where someone's not going to pass away, somebody's not going to break up with you, somebody's not going to treat you poorly, a boss is going to be mean to you, something like that. So be ready for those things to happen and don't be ready to play the victim, right? Again, yeah. choose your hard. You can either choose to work hard stay level-headed and go past it while you're chasing something and be trying to create value for yourself, or you can try to take the easy way. And the last thing I would say is anybody that tries to sell you something or push any kind of narrative on you, that there is an easy way available. And, and you know, you can work 10 hours to get, you know, four times the income or something like that. That's a red flag. It's probably bullshit. Because there isn't anything that's worth it in this world that that doesn't start with hard work. Yeah, and you at least have to have the foundation. It's usually those things tend to work later when you already hit the proficiency, the expertise level. That's when you can start to craft those things of, hey, work smarter, not harder, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that seems, I've noticed that kind of stuff pays off more when you already have a level of proficiency or expertise. But when you're starting out, like- don't, I don't know. It's not necessarily a good thing to look for that kind of stuff. So, oh, before we wrap up, what did you do? The David, <laughs> the, we were getting, so oh, the David okay. Goggins so, challenge. Yeah, I, walk, I walked in here with a limp. Uh, limp wouldn't even really describe it. I walked in like I have sticks for legs. Uh, so I am very into finding challenges for myself, <laughs> right? Physical challenges, because I, I firmly believe that if you constantly challenge yourself physically, you hone those skills of hard work, discipline and heart. So um, of many challenges that I've done this year, I did the four by four by 48, right? Which is four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And I did it with a 20 pound weighted vest on. <laughs> and the reason that I did that is because <laughs> I look at other people. And again, I believe very much that no matter what your career path is or what your path is in life, that if you want extraordinary results or you want an extraordinary lifestyle, you have to do extraordinary. You have to commit to extraordinary challenges, right? So when I see, although 99% of people will never try that challenge, 40, 48 miles in 48 hours, I still see tens of thousands of people doing that challenge on the internet, right? 
Well, I don't see anybody carrying a 20 pound weight of vest on while they're doing that. So at the end of the day, do I get an immediate return from, you know, carrying a 20 pound weight of vest for 48 miles over two days? Uh, I don't, but I can firmly say that I put in a level of work that nobody I'm aware of was able to put in there. And if I take that mindset and I apply it to my career, my home life, or, or you know, my physical fitness or anything like that, uh, you know, I'm going to get the results that I want. At the very least, I will be a much better version of myself. Yeah. And you'll have more endurance. <laughs> yeah. I, and to be honest with you, again, like that made me sound like I'm like a fucking Navy SEAL or like I constantly, you know, work out stuff like that, like my whole life. A year ago, I couldn't have ran five consecutive miles. So yeah, I have a tough time running more than I've always hated a quarter, mi- quarter yeah. mile. I was one of those guys in the gym that, you know, I was, I'd go and I'd do all upper body. I'd have chicken legs and, <laughs> you know, I go home, drink beer and do whatever and total lifestyle change. So, you know, just no matter where you are today, if you put in the work, you know, you don't know where you can end up in what, a year. What so. sparked it? Having a kid? Yeah, I, I guess I was looking at it and I just wasn't happy. You know, if you don't have a purpose in life, you're going to be lost. You know, you said that's the most valuable thing you can do for yourself. Hard work, discipline, and heart is much better when you have a purpose and when that purpose is outside of yourself. So I want to mentor young people. I'm, I've been successful at this point in my life because I've had five people uh, specifically that went out of their way to mentor me for no reason, no benefit to themselves. And I think when people talk about equality and equity, you know, and the difference between the two, um, I do think that as Americans, we all have an equal opportunity, but if you're not aware that the opportunities are there or you don't have help to walk walk through that door or to take advantage of those opportunities, then those opportunities are as good as nothing. And they're not not necessarily equal, right? And I think when you look at disadvantaged communities um, where they're in a housing project or, you know, there's a lot of drug dealers and crime or people are on welfare. Again, my privilege was that I grew up in the industry, right? I knew what opportunities were there and I knew how to navigate it. So if we're truly going to be equal, then we need more people reaching into these oppor- into these communities and and helping people, right? And if I want to be that person, then I need to be the best version of myself. And if I want to be that people for if I want to be that person for those people, I need to be it for my son first and foremost. So about a month before my son was born, I stopped drinking almost entirely, um, and I did the seventy five hard program and I'm doing things like four by four by forty eight and stuff like that. So. That's who I am. That's that's what I'm about. And, you know, I'm trying to bring opportunities of affluence to everybody. Hell yeah. So. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm looking forward to working together on this stuff. It's been cool so far. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it's it going to be cool. I think I think it is a much needed uh, change in the market. And I think it could redefine education. Hell yeah, dude. Let's do it. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.